Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's one of those psalms that, you know, you just read it and you think, man, to even say anything about it, is, it stands on its own. Um, we're going to pray together, and I'm going to ask you guys to pray out loud the Lord's Prayer with me, and let's pray this together out loud. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we do want that, all those things that are prayed there. We, we want, Lord, you, our Heavenly Father, for your name to be lifted up, for it to be hallowed, Lord. We are grieved by the way that your name is not exalted in this world. That your name is so often misused or just um, not used at all. And Lord, we pray for your name to be exalted in this world. We pray for your kingdom to come. Lord, we look at the world and we know it's not as it should be. And we know that that's because of sin, our sin, humanity's sin. And Lord, we pray your kingdom come. We pray your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to that day when you will reign in such a way that your will will always be done here. Father, we pray that you'd give us our daily bread. We pray for those who are in our body that are struggling financially, struggling with providing for their families. Um, Lord, we pray for all of us, even those who aren't, Lord. We, we recognize that all of our sustenance, all the things that are good in our lives come from you. And we pray, Lord, you give us thankful hearts. We pray as we open the word that you would give us daily bread in it, that you would feed your children at your table here. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us our debts. Lord, we come uh, not as a people who have any fantasy that we live up to a relationship with you, that we have lived in a way that's righteous or fitting with our relationship with you, Lord. And so we ask that you would forgive us, and we know that you have promised in your son Jesus that if we confess our sin, you are um, just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that your son Jesus has paid the debt, and so we receive that gratefully here. We pray, Lord, too, that we would forgive those 
who have sinned against us. Lord, this passage says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Lord, that makes us stop and think, is there anyone we need to release from their debts? So we pray that even now in this moment of prayer that we would release those of their debts that have sinned against us. Lord, we pray that you would not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, this world is filled with traps. This world is filled with temptations. This world is filled with, as Josh was calling us to, to recognize, all sorts of temptations on our desires. Lord, we pray that you deliver us from them. And Lord, we thank you that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as we open your word and we see um, a vision here in Psalm 46 of that kingdom, Lord, help us to rejoice in it and help us to have the right courage for people that are going to inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We pray this, Lord, for our joy, but especially for your glory. We pray you give all glory to your Son. Be exalted, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the Psalms for a couple of months now, and uh, we've seen all sorts of different Psalms. You know, we saw Psalms of confession, Psalms of deliverance, Psalms of fear, uh, Psalms of praise, depression. Um, This morning, we're looking at a Psalm of courage. That's what this Psalm is basically about. And remember, I said that the Psalms are like 150 little on-ramps that will take you from wherever you're at, whatever mood you're at, whatever circumstance you're at, there's a Psalm that can take you from that place up to a place of worship. It can meet you where you're at and bring you into a place of worship. And Psalm 46 is the tribulation on-ramp. It gives us reasons why any tribulation we face can be faced with courage. It shows us that we have cause for courage. We have great reason to be unmoved. And guys, there's been this vibe lately um, among Christians, especially Christians who are way too much online, who have kind of given this vibe off that if you're not worried, you're not paying attention. There's this real call for you know, pastors and churches and Christians to like wake up and get properly afraid of the things that they fear. But guys, Psalm 46 shows us that we could be totally awake to the tribulations we face and yet be unmoved by them, right? In fact, I would argue that the Christians that are the most awake to reality will be the least afraid. Psalm 46 mentions some pretty severe tribulations. Take a look at verse 2. He says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waves roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So there's a, there's a tribulation here of environmental catastrophe, right? Environmental catastrophe. There's tribulation of war and national collapse. Look at verse 6. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. You know, there's environmental catastrophe, there's war, there's nations collapsing. These are things that we're hearing about a lot now, right? A a lot of what we're dealing with right now is a constant bombardment of news of environmental catastrophe and war and nations collapsing. And the psalmist would have no way of knowing this, but actually we have in modern times a way to combine those quite literally, right? There are now weapons of war that can cause massive environmental damage, And I think you guys have probably thought about that more lately with the conflicts that are going on. I've thought a lot about it as a kid. I'm I'm a a Cold War kid, not the band. And um, I'm Generation X. And so, you know, most of my childhood was in the 80s. Uh, The Soviet Union collapsed in my senior year of high school. And so a lot of my childhood was shaped by thoughts of Cold War. And I don't know if this is normal for my generation or not. I don't know if you other Gen Xers experience this. 
But like my friends and I, we watched Red Dawn, the original one, and we thought about what we were going to do. And we even built like underground bunkers. We dug out some areas in these fields near our house that were big enough to walk in, put plywood over and dirt. I mean, we had like underground bunkers. You know, we had thought this through. Yeah, we were, we were prepared. My elementary school, and I think this is pretty unique, my elementary school had a nuclear fallout shelter. It was in Lakeside. It was actually kind of unusual, I guess. But it had a nuclear bomb shelter underneath the school, which was also my second grade classroom. So apparently they didn't have enough classrooms to go around. So true story, and I pulled up the video of it last night to show my wife to prove it. But you walked down a little ramp, and there was a nuclear fallout shelter-like sign, and then you went into your classroom that had no windows. And there was like a generator down there and stuff like that. And we practiced, and I don't know if you guys who went to school in the 80s, but we practiced nuclear bomb drills. It was, for some reason, not running into the bomb shelter, which we had. It was going under your desk, <laughs> which was apparently like more secure. But, um, but guys, the, I'm glad we can laugh about nuclear war. But this psalm, guys, speaks of a kind of courage that can even face things that large. You know, when you read this psalm about the the world pulling apart and nations tumbling and war and all these things, this psalm is the kind of psalm that tells us we can have courage even in that. And though these images are of these vast, you know, mind-altering, just gigantic collapse-type situations, I think it's totally appropriate to take this poetic language and apply it to any tribulation that you have. For example, any sense that the world's unraveling around you. Look at verse 2 again. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waves roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. You know, these mountains, this would be images of the secure and permanent things, right? Mountains, they're always there. They don't move, right? These are the secure and permanent things. And then the sea, for the Jews, who were not a seafaring people, the sea was something of a menace. It was chaos. So what you have in in this poetically is you have even the most secure, permanent things in your life being thrown into chaos. The sea and the earth are a way of speaking of the entire created world. So this would be an image of like the whole world coming apart around you. Have you felt like that? This psalm's for you. It's also a great psalm for those who feel like they're a city under siege. You take a look at verse 6, and it talks about nations raging and kingdoms tottering. You know, you can think of these images of war and think about the ways in which you feel embattled. You know, the enemy and and all the the forces of the enemy and all the just difficulties of this life being embattled against you. You feel like a city whose walls are being surrounded by armies of different problems, and they're they're just waiting you out. They're, They're sieging your city. Guys, Jesus promised in this world you, you will have tribulation. And he didn't put any limits on that. Right? I, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that we're promised to escape the worst of it. Quite literally, like, any terrible thing could happen to you. You're welcome. Right? <laughs> but let's be realistic. I think sometimes when we read the Psalms, when we read the Proverbs and stuff, we get this false sense of, like, that God's promising, like, he'll only let it get so bad, but it can't get terrible. The scriptures don't say that. You know, any manner of terrible things could happen to us. But Psalm 46 looks those things right in the face and says we can have courage. We can look right in the face of it and not go, oh, I'm sure nothing bad will happen. We can go like, even if we're certain terrible things are going to happen, we can have courage. 
We have cause for courage. We have really good reasons to be unmoved. We can even be defiant, guys, in the face of tribulation. And I think that's something we need, don't we? We need to have a type of courage that's defiant in the face of tribulation. I think a lot of us have admired the the defiant courage that we heard in the last few weeks when a certain world leader said, I don't need a ride, I need ammo. Right? That's defiant courage. And if you need ammo, this is it. Psalm 46 gives us courage. And he calls us to take courage in three things. He calls us to take courage in the dwelling of God, the victory of God, and the glory of God. So first, the dwelling of God. He calls us to take courage that we live in the dwelling of God. Look at verse 2 and notice the word therefore. You start in verse 1 and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then verse 2 says, therefore we will not fear. Guys, our security, our courage, our sense of safety doesn't come in the ways we protect ourselves. It comes from God. It comes that we dwell in him. Our security doesn't come from God plus something. God plus I've saved a lot of money, right? God plus I've got good friends around me. God plus I'm sure that we live in a really safe place. It's just in God. He says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. There's a really beautiful image here of God's presence in verse 4. Notice all the chaos in verse 2 and 3. And then verse 4 gets really calm all of a sudden. There's a huge mood change. I'll read it for you. So outside of the city of God, you've got this. The earth gives way. The mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. Its waves roar and foam, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting mood change, right? It goes from savage sea to a sustaining river. The whole world can be going crazy outside of the city of God, and yet inside they're unmoved. Why? It says a river runs through the city. In ancient times, guys, the water supply, if a city had like a good river running through it, a good water supply, it was a great defense against being besieged by armies, right? So they're all camped outside your walls. If you've got plenty of water, you can wait it out a lot longer. And that's what he's talking about here. But interestingly, Jerusalem had no such river, okay? Stream, brook, didn't have like this big river that this psalm seems to be indicating. What's going on? Well, verse 5 tells us what, or rather who the river is. So he says there's a river that's inside the city of God that keeps them glad and secure. And then verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The river running through Jerusalem preserving their life was God himself. Isn't that awesome? Jerusalem was God's special dwelling place. He dwelt there in the temple. Verse 4 said it was his holy habitation. So beautiful, like the whole world could be coming apart outside, and yet inside the city of God, they were glad because God was in her. Like a life-giving river, God is inside so that she's unmoved by all the chaos outside the walls, all the threats. Can you guys imagine how encouraging, how much courage you would get from knowing that you lived in God's city? You know, that you lived in the city where God dwelled and God dwelling in his temple and you're living, I mean, you're in his zip code, you know, you're in his neighborhood. Can you imagine how much security that would give you that you live in the dwelling place of God? Is if you're a Christian this morning, you have that same security. God dwells in you and you dwell in him. The, the theological term for this is union with Christ. That if you trust in Christ, even this morning, if you were to trust in Christ for your salvation, if you're trust in him as Savior, the Holy Spirit 
would come into you, and those of you who are our believers, he's come into you. The Holy Spirit who's in you is also in heaven with the Father and the Son, and he connects you to Christ. The Holy Spirit unites you to Christ. You're connected to him by a person, by the Holy Spirit. And so now, if you're in Christ, God no longer sees you in your old sins, right? He sees you as in Christ because you're in him. You're in Christ. All of his righteousness covers you because you're in him. You've taken refuge in him. And so that on the cross, Jesus, he was covered in your sin, right? He was in your sin so that now you are in his righteousness. That's union with Christ. You're in Christ and therefore considered righteous in Christ. But not only does union with Christ mean that you're in Christ, it also means that Christ's in you, right? Christ is in you as well. The Holy Spirit who is in you causes the life of Christ to flow in and out through you. That his very life, Jesus' very life, is in you. So that you can be described like the psalm describes here, as the holy habitation of the Most High. How do you like that? Christ lives in you if you're a believer. You are the holy habitation of the Most High. Under the new covenant, guys, there's no stone temple. There's no city on the map where you can go, oh, God lives there, right? It's not the way it is here in the new covenant. When Jesus came on the earth, he, he proclaimed himself to be the true temple, the true physical meeting place between God and man. John says that when Jesus came among us, he says that God tabernacled among us, that he was the true temple on earth. And when Jesus died on the cross, something happened to the temple in Jerusalem. The veil tore that separated sinners from the presence of God. And, and it was to say two things. One was like, hey, you're welcome to come in the presence of God. But it also said the presence of God is leaving this place. And he's going to go and find a new home in the bodies of his people. Isn't that amazing? That God would leave the temple and he would come and dwell in the bodies of his people. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are the temple of God. You are the true city of God. You're the place God lives. And just like this city in, in verse 4, a river runs through you making you glad because you're the holy habitation of God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus promised this in John 7. He said this, he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come after me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. If you're a Christian, there is an inner river of the Holy Spirit in you. A river of life that makes you glad and unmoved even though the world comes apart around you. Talk about a cause for courage, guys. Talk about a very present help in time of trouble, right? You have Christ's life streaming in and through you, and you can abide in him anytime. Anytime you need courage, anytime you need peace, anytime you need comfort and strength and joy, you can stop and you could pray and you could abide in him and you can receive this, this inner source of courage because he dwells in you. And so you, like the city in Psalm 46, can endure a long siege of the enemy. How long can you last? You can last a really long time if you have the river of God within you, right? You know? Do you feel under siege? Some of you are definitely under siege. I know that. You know, you're under siege from sickness. You're under siege from pain or temptation. You know, it's like the tribulations are all camped around you, right? You're, you're a city with walls, and they're all camped around you, right? And they're just waiting. They're just waiting to just, you know, for you to weaken, waiting for you to surrender, waiting for you to give up. And they wait, and they wait, right? And they surround you, and they say, out of water yet? Ready to surrender? 
But you don't have to surrender because you're sustained from the inside by the Holy Spirit. You have a source of life and strength and joy and courage in you the world knows nothing of. You can endure a long siege as long as it lasts. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And I love how he adds this other detail. Look at verse 5. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. I love that last part. God will help her when morning dawns. Sometimes we think, even if we're feeling like, okay, yeah, the Spirit's sustaining me today through these tribulations, but you think like, gosh, how long am I going to last? You know, what about tomorrow? What about the next day? This verse tells us what about the next day. You know, will tomorrow's tribulations be too much for me to bear? And this verse, verse 5, says the Lord's going to be there too, right? He'll be there too. It says, God will help her when the morning dawns. You know, you're in dread. You know, you're dread about tomorrow. You're in dread tonight about the next day. And you have this promise, God will help her when the morning dawns. A lot of times we lack courage because we forget that he's always going to be with us, right? You know, so we spin these tales about the future. And some of you guys are really good at this. I've mentioned this before. I'm a great writer of dystopias for myself, you know, and thinking through all the ways things could go terribly wrong, right? You know, what's, you know what all those dystopias have in common? God's not in them. God's never a character in those stories, right? But he will be with you. It says here, God will help her. When morning comes. So if you must write little dystopian stories for your life, at least write it with God as a main character. He will be there to help you. He will be there tomorrow too. And he will sustain you as long as the siege lasts. So we should take courage in the dwelling of God. Okay? In in both that he dwells in us and that we dwell in him. Secondly, take courage in the victory of God. That long siege against you will come to an end. Look at verse 8. I love verse 8. This is an encouraging. Put this on a coffee mug. Come behold the works of the Lord. And you're like, oh yeah, that sounds great. How he has brought desolation on the earth. I think that would be an awesome thing on a coffee cup. And I'm being serious because, well, you'll see, okay? The psalmist calls us guys to look forward to a time in the future and to look at it as if it's past, okay? It's as if the psalmist is saying, hey, come over here in the future and let me show you something God's going to do. And the reason why I think this desolation is something future is because Verse 9 says that it's also the time when God will end all wars. And so this psalm is eschatological. It's about the last things. He's saying, come on over here and let me show you God making desolation on the earth. Okay? Come and take a look at this. And it actually is really encouraging. I I just want to say to you guys about eschatology. So eschatology is a study of last things. And if your eschatology is making you more fearful and less courageous, you're totally doing it wrong. Okay, because like the book of Revelation was given to give those people courage and to give us courage and to give people after us courage. Like eschatology is meant to give us courage. So if it's, let's talk because if your eschatology is making you more fearful and less courageous, you're totally using it wrong. So like, let's talk because it shouldn't, it should give you all sorts of courage. And so that's what he's doing here. And actually guys, contemplating the end of the world is actually really helpful for building courage. It's a very underutilized form of building courage. But he says in verse 8, he says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. These tribulations you face, even now, the ones you will face in this life, how are they going to look on the final day? You know, on the day when he comes to judge, how will the pains and the losses and the disappointments that you fear look on the final day? 
right? When you stand on the final day with Christ, how will you wish you had responded to them, right? It's a very helpful thing, right, to think, you know, come over here and let's think about what the end looks like. When Christ returns, guys, he is going to swiftly end every threat that attempts to terrorize you now, everything, quickly. They're going to evaporate in a moment. Look at verse 6. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. And then look at what God does. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he makes, makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And guys, God does this. He evaporates all of the threats towards God's people by just uttering a word. He utters a word, and the earth melts, and all of your troubles melt with it. Isn't that amazing? All wars cease. He even destroys all the weapons of war, so there's like no sense that this could come back, right? Everything that comes against you, gone in a second by the word of the Lord. Guys, he is the Lord of hosts. You know what that means? Hosts means armies. He's into all the angelic creatures in his army and all of creation at his disposal. He's the Lord of hosts. Nothing can stand against him. We get a great picture of this actually in Revelation 20. You should take a look. It's really great. So what he's talking about here in Psalm 48 is is shown again in Revelation 20 verse 7. I didn't hear any pages move. Maybe you're all electronic, but you guys really should look at this. Uh, Revelation 20. I can hear you. I can hear Okay, there it is. Yeah, it's a very familiar sound to a preacher. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 7. Okay, this is the final battle of good and evil, okay? You guys ready? Here we go. Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years had ended, Satan was released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. That's not good. That are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for a battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. Okay, these are the bad guys. And they march over the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's us. That's not good. Okay, so you've got all the forces of evil surrounding God's people, the beloved city, just like in in Psalm 46. And they're besieged. And you're like, what's going to happen? This doesn't look good. Okay, and then watch what happens next. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Done. Did you miss it? So this was like the final battle of good and evil. Did you miss it? I can do it again. So like all the enemies of God come around the beloved city. And then it says, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Isn't that amazing? It's easy to miss. It's quick. Armageddon is pretty anticlimactic, actually. God presses fire button. Okay? But that's what's being described in Psalm 46, verse 6, where he says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the work of the Lord. How he's brought desolation on the earth. How he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Guys, we should have courage. We have great cause to have courage here. Great reason to be unmoved. Take courage in the final victory of God, right? Ending the enemy's long siege against you. So we should take courage in the dwelling of God, the victory of God, and lastly, we should take courage in, maybe this isn't the last reason, but the last one we'll do here, which is the glory of God. Take courage in the glory of God. Take a look at verse 10. Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Take courage in the fact that God assures us he will be exalted, right? We should take courage in the fact that God says, I will be exalted. God will be glorified. God will be glorified among the nations. God will be glorified in the earth. This is a really interesting cause for courage. We should take courage in the fact that God is completely devoted to his own glory. You guys know that? Because you read the scripture, it's very clear. God values his own glory. God wants to glorify God. And that's actually really good news because God's glory is the thing that makes us most happy. So it's very good news that God is completely devoted to his own glory. You know, it's good news for us because we want his glory. We enjoy his glory. It's the greatest sense of joy for us. It's great news for the world that he's devoted to his own glory. So we can be certain that this world has a good future because God is fully devoted to his glory. And he will be glorified fully on earth, not in some invisible spiritual way that you might not notice or see, not in some, you know, invisible spiritual way, but visibly, globally, physically, okay? He says he's going to be glorified among the nations and in the earth. Um, And just a little backstory, the world was created for the glory of God, right? This world, like John Calvin says in the Institutes, was created as a, as a beautiful theater, not this one. As a beautiful theater, right? To display the glory and the goodness and the perfections of God. That's what this creation's for. And it still does it, but not like it used to. Why? Because of sin, right? Because of our sin, because of humanity's sin. This glorious theater of creation is not displaying his goodness and his glory as it ought. But God's not going to leave it that way. Because he says in this passage, I will be exalted, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He's not going to leave it this way. He's going to restore it to its original perfection so that it again reflects his goodness and glory perfectly. And so we should take courage, guys. We see the world and the mess it's in. We should take courage knowing that God promises, verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We, we pray this. We prayed this this morning, right? We prayed that his name would be hallowed right? We prayed that his uh, kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer gets answered, guys. That isn't just a wish. You know, God's name will be held on earth as holy, right? God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the end, guys, he will be exalted. And because he'll be exalted, we can know that no tribulation you face in this life or I face in this life can ultimately take away the thing we love most. You guys realize that? No tribulation can take away what you love most. There's a neat illustration of this in Psalm 46. Take a look at verse 11. It's in the word fortress. So it says here that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And what's kind of interesting, if you look at the Hebrew of this word, this is a different word than is used in verse 1. In verse 1, it says that he's our refuge. And then here it says he's our fortress. And this Hebrew word, the one for fortress, doesn't just have the sense of like you can go inside and be safe. It has the sense of it's too high for the enemies to get. It's inaccessibly high is what that word fortress means. Too high for the enemies to reach. Guys, no tribulation you face can ever take away what you love most because the Lord has placed what you love most inaccessibly high. He's put it up too high for the enemies to get to. He's put it in a fortress really high. Isn't that encouraging? God has placed everything you love most too high for the enemy to reach. You guys want to see how high? You guys want to see it come down? 
Okay, now you were in Revelation. Do it again. Revelation 21.1, okay? So this is after what happened in verses 6 through 9 when God removes all of the evil from this world and ends all warfare and all these things, right? And the earth got melted. But don't worry about the earth. It's going to be okay. Revelation 21.1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, what? Coming down out of heaven from God. And look how it's described. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Notice that God's people coming down out of heaven onto this new earth are described as a bride and a city. Right? The bride image we're familiar with, right? That The church is Christ's bride. But here it's described as a city. And look what's inside the city. Switch over to Revelation 22.1. This is a look inside the city. And then it says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the streets of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. What's in the city? It's the river, right? It's the river that was mentioned in Psalm 46. The river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And that river, guys, is God's very presence, his visible presence. Look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And then listen to this. They, us, will see his face. Whose face? God's face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and there will not be a need for the light of a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Guys, we should take courage that our future, guys, is going to be extremely bright. Our future is as bright as the glory of God. So he's going to sustain us under siege. We should take courage in being his dwelling. He's going to banish all evil. We should take courage in his victory. And then he's going to fill the earth with his glory, and we're going to enjoy it together forever. We can take courage in that. You take courage in the glory of God. So guys, let's face the world, come what may, with defiant courage. Right? There's super good reasons to be unmoved. So be still, stand firm, know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, we know from Hebrews 12 that yet once more you're going to shake the earth and the heavens to reveal what cannot be shaken. And we thank you, Lord, that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We pray, Lord, for all those in our body that are dealing with just intensely scary, fearful things, tribulations of all kinds, whether current or future, or imagined, whatever it may be, we pray, Lord, that we would stand in courage. That we would not be moved. God, you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Make that true in our hearts, Lord. Give us fresh courage. Give us fresh strength. As we gather as your people to just be together, after the service, Lord, we pray that we would encourage one another, that we would give one another courage, that we'd strengthen each other with words of truth. Lord, we pray that we would be an unmovable people.
And we pray, Lord, to come quickly. Make all things new. We're ready to receive a world filled with glory, a world with you at the center. Visible presence of God for us to enjoy. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.